Welcome to The Watching Dead, the officially unofficial podcast for The Walking Dead on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back with uh, our wrap-up cast for Season 5. Wrapping it's it the, up. The full thing, the, the Season 5B wrap-up. Uh, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to do a lot of feedback, because from what I hear, we got a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also going to run through the death predictions that we made at the beginning of the season. Oh, always fun for some humili- humiliation. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. There, there's a lot of humiliation to go around here. Uh, and I, I think that's about it. Can we just stop and reflect what a weird, strange season this was? Like, it's very different. More than any other, I feel like this is a tale of two halves. The first half of the mm-hmm. season was just, other than the outstanding season premiere, and I guess wrapping up the Terminus bit in retrospect is pretty good. Um, yeah. Just a lot of that stuff didn't work. Then on this half... You get away from Atlanta, you switch over to Alexandria, and things start clicking, and outside mm-hmm. from, like, it's kind of like a, a, a reversal. Outside of the first episode or two, it was really, really good. Yeah, I thought so. And I don't know. I mean, like, we did the whole... It just feels like a lifetime ago. We did the whole Month of the Dead. Um, <laughs> We've done a lot of Walking Dead stuff this year. Which, I, I guess, if you are feeling the end of The Walking Dead, and you, you mm-hmm. need something to tide you over to October... Uh, and you're you're just joining us, or you never had time to go back and, and listen to that, go back to the first part of the season. Uh, we did, like, you know, six different movie reviews. We played through Telltale's Walking Dead video game, mm-hmm. which I thought I've been... I, I, I saw someone send an email reminding me about that, and I watched a couple this morning, and I supr- I thought it was really funny. Um, yeah, there, there are some sound quality issues at the beginning, but... As you get deeper into that, we it were gets all, a lot better. This is the first time we ever streamed anything. Yeah, so. and I think it's some of the funniest stuff we've done to date. You know, sure. you know, there are long stretches. I mean, it, it, it's a lot of content. Yeah, it's like five, ten hours. Like each episode, each each episode is like uh, ten hours long, or each season. Each episode yeah. is about two hours, so you got about twenty hours of of watching. Yeah, but uh, there are moments in there that are just laugh out loud, hysterical. To sure. Me. Uh, so uh, yeah, if you want more of our coverage of The Walking Dead, definitely do that. Uh, and you go, you find that at youtubecom slash move. There's a playlist that has them all. Uh, the, e- the the brought my attention to is the one the emailers pointed out that we were missing an episode, so you fixed that this morning. Yeah, yeah, that was all to, there in all its glory. I, I I don't know why, but I think the name is pretty funny. We call them Bad Guy Lee and Bad Guy Clem. Yeah, because they're kind of the characters you play with in each episode and. I don't know. It's it's really good. Our mission statement it. was to play them as as big an asshole as we could within the game mechanics, which yeah. surprisingly the game doesn't really allow you to be that big of an asshole. It doesn't. You get railroaded a lot. Pa- uh, passive aggression is the uh, the, <laughs> the, the name of the game. Uh-huh. It really is. Yeah, so, so go check those out. Those are fun. Uh, okay, let's go through our death predictions that we made at the very beginning of this full season, back in October. Oof. I know. It's I'm, a, not, I'm not predicting very good things here. It's a long time ago, but, you know, we we like to do this after a season wraps up. Just to just to prove how dumb we are sometimes. Yeah. If you uh, needed, I mean, I think if they listen every week, they realize that. I don't know if we need to belabor <laughs> the point. No, no. We want to prove it. All right. Uh, so we'll start off with Rick and Carl, who we both said, no way. No way, no how are these guys going to die. And, of course, they didn't. Uh, you, you can't kill those two. Sure. The other one that we said, no way, no how, is Michonne. Didn't kill her, obviously. Um, Daryl. Daryl was a little more up in the air. Your theory has always been, you know, you got contract links of a, sp- a set period, and this may be the season when Daryl's Norman Reedus is up. 
Plus, I just feel I don't know. I feel like Norman going into the season, I guess it felt like Norman Reedus is kind of like one of those outside the box guys that wouldn't want to be tied down to the series for too long. But the mm, more yeah. I read about him in interviews, I feel like he loves this shit. Probably does. I, it's the most famous he's ever been. Yeah, easily. And it, the money's got to be good, and he yeah, seems yeah. to like going around and ta- doing like the fan engagement stuff. So mm-hmm. like, I kind of have to revise that. Okay, because you said, I I don't I don't know what the slash here means. Twenty five percent, seventy five percent. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what that means. You're the one who wrote it down, man. I knew at the time. Uh, I think 25% for this half of the last half of the season, 75% for this half of the season. Okay. Either way, Daryl is still alive. Yep. Um, I was, was uh, 100% wrong. Uh, and my, my prediction of that was 10%, 25%. So mm. I was still wrong, but not as wrong. <laughs> Congratulations. I was 50% less wrong than you. Congratulations. Um, so we, we kind of lump some of these characters together. I think you have to. There's a lot of you and do. or if else statements. Yeah, like we lumped Maggie, Glenn, and Beth together because, you know, if both of them die, it kind of doesn't work Mm because you want to see the reaction of either Maggie or Glenn to the other's death. Yeah. Uh, That's super important. Uh, It kind of didn't work for Beth because no one cared about Beth, including the characters in the show, her own sister. No one cared. Mm -hmm. So when she died, um, we both said one of those people would die. I guess we were right by Mm -hmm. the end of it. Uh, It was Beth. Is Beth. And then we also did that with Sasha and Bob. Uh, I did not give an answer. I got off on some tangent during the podcast. That happens. Uh, you gave an answer. You gave an unfortunate answer. What my was friend. the answer? Zero percent for either Sasha or Bob. <sighs> well, I, yeah, because I, first of all, yeah, I can't defend it other than I thought they were a cuter couple. Uh, they had more potential. Yeah. And Bob uh-huh. was, I didn't think they would kill their only medic. I, yeah. That was a fair point. And now Rick, Rick's a fucking medic rampage machine. Like Herschel, <laughs> he's killing him left and right. Uh, Bob, Pete, he's like he's he can't stand having a medic. Forget black men in The Walking Dead. If you have any kind of medical training, oh yeah, you're a dead man. I, yeah, absolutely. and if you're a black man with medical training, forget, forget about, about it. it. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have forget your leg eaten it. first. <laughs> uh, the, you're gonna die in stages. That's how serious <laughs> they're about it. The other one where one of us didn't give any kind of answer um, is Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene. We lumped them together. Uh-huh. I said it was likely, and I, didn't, I don't know what percentage you put on that, but it was likely <laughs> More 51. More than 50%. 51%. got to be at least 51. All right. Which <laughs> is a the bullshit prediction, one, I'll say. <laughs> one of them was going to die. None of them died, although yeah. Eugene really did come close. It's likely that you were dead wrong. Yes. Uh, you didn't even give an answer on that one, so... Uh, moving on to Tara, both of us said don't care. Mm-hmm. Didn't even give a prediction. Still in a solid don't care. I mean, uh, we talked briefly about Judith, but we didn't actually answer. I mean, a notice percentage. that like there was a cliffhanger where there's like a two episode arc where she could have died. Guess how many feedback yeah. I got like people on pins and needles about where, where's Tara? Fate of Tara was Tara zero. None. No one cares about even Tara. after uh, she jumped on old old Noah's back there. Yeah. Started to redeem herself. Yep. No, nope. I think Noah stole some of her death thunder with that uh, definitely thing he did in the vestibule. Yeah, we didn't actually have a prediction on Noah because I don't think we knew of Noah. No, at Noah the, didn't at come around until Slapdown. Yeah, these predictions. So uh, then there's Carol and Tyrese, who for some reason we lumped together, and I think it's because they were roaming the countryside together at the the beginning of all this. Hmm. Um, I, I think I was using a little bit of comic knowledge. Ah, uh, cheater. 
um, and to to lump them together because I thought that if they kind of went through the comic book route, then one would do, and but if they didn't, then so yeah, you gave uh, based on it. So let's mine is much simpler to go over here. I gave Carol an eighty percent chance to die this season. Oh, eighty percent! I've never been happier to see you be wrong. All right, well, don't get too happy because your prediction here. uh, If they, you had an if if else statement here. Okay. If Tyrese and Carol get shipped, if they get hooked together, yep. uh, You said a hundred percent death chance for Carol did not happen. So we move on to the else statement in this or the else clause in this statement. Carol, 50%. Uh-huh. Tyrese, 0%. Woo! You were dead wrong on the Tyrese thing. Yeah. No, I got that. Well, I mean, I honestly didn't see... I didn't see Carol... I mean, Carol really took a leap in this in this season. Yeah. She was pretty yeah. good, after, you know, with, with her banishment arc and all that kind of stuff, but her coming and single-handedly liberating the camp... Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was amazing, and I feel stupid for for giving her a coin flip chance at dying. Yeah, I really felt at the beginning of the season that her story had run its course, you know? And uh, I thought they would turn Tyrese around, that he would, you know, mm-hmm. be the reluctant badass, but eventually be a badass. Nope, he was reluctant all the way to dying. He was, yeah. Are, are, you, are you having any second thoughts about his storyline? I know you had complained numerous times about how he just wasn't, he wasn't what you wanted him to be eh, so many times in the series. I don't know. I f- After seeing his death, how do you feel about it? I'm fine. I'm fine. fine. I, I'm sad that we see, uh, I'm sad that we saw the, the actor go because mm-hmm. I still have a lot of fond moments of him from the, uh, the wire, obviously. And I think he made the most of the material he was given with. And, and honestly, I feel like when I've, seen Chad Coleman talk about his character, I feel like that he spent a lot more time and thought on his character than the writers did. Oh, no. Uh, you know, and he's had all this backstory in his own mind and all that. And I, I get what they're trying to do, kind of like um, by subverting the trope of of this big, tough, imposing guy being just like, you know, making be the rock from the Fast and Furious franchise. But sure. on the other hand... I don't feel like they've. I guess with Abraham, they're starting to toy with that, but they just haven't mm-hmm. had. I mean, even Daryl is not that kind of badass. Like just a tank no. up, no, 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 wade through a sea of walkers with nothing but a claw hammer, and they flirted with like he had that berserker tendency, mm-hmm. but then he was just a kind of like quiet, mild mannered uh, do gooder. So I don't know. Yeah, he's like if you're gonna put it in video game parlance, it's more like he's a rogue maybe and. Tyrese, you wanted Tyrese to be the warrior, yeah, the the guy who's just going to draw all the aggro, yeah, take a beating, give a beating, yeah, and Daryl sneak up behind him, yeah. But yeah, they didn't do that with Tyrese. Not so at all. I feel like Tyrese was a little bit of a missed opportunity with hmm. uh, you know what Mister Coleman's capable of and some of the directions they went. Um, I feel like they certainly could have made that character more memorable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that was that was really it. I mean, there's. Uh, there there are other characters we were introduced to mm-hmm. that we never made predictions on, um, some of which died immediately. I mean, I, I don't know what my prediction would have been on Reg, but probably pretty high. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting when we start off next season. I'm sure we'll do this again, you know, yeah. make, make our death predictions again. And I, man, I had a, a lot of my operating theories have just been completely thrown out the window other than Rick and Carl can't die. Yeah. 
No way. Uh, Michonne is highly unlikely to die, but like I've been kind of waiting for Daryl to die for a while, just because I thought that's <laughs> he came close. It's the one non-Rick Carl death that would genuinely just make the fan base shit their pants. Yeah, maybe that's why they don't do it. Like it'd be their Game of Thrones moment, to where it's like, wow, anyone can die on this on this show, and they stubbornly refuse to engage in those moments. You know, if you had asked me at the beginning of this season if I think the show would have been significantly hurt by the death of Daryl Dixon, I would have said, yes, absolutely. Like, I I get more pleasure watching Daryl Dixon do his thing than basically anybody else on the show. Now I'm not so sure that that's true. Well, I mean... Rick has really come a long way in this last season. Um, He's, you know, mentally in his headspace. Carol mm -hmm. has come a super long way. I think they did this season. uh, Most rehabilitated character has got to be Glenn. Yeah, Glenn was. I hated Glenn and Maggie. Nothing. Yeah, and now like his his turn and how he dealt with Dickless here, Mm -hmm. uh, his kind of nuanced view on the community and and how much they. I I really really am back on board the Glenn train. Yeah, I'm with you. And you know Michonne and Abraham and and Abraham did Eugene still the rough one for me. Eugene, it's like the way he didn't have a lot to do this season, this half season. Yeah, I in in the comic books, I don't think this is a spoiler at this point because I think the ship has sailed. But in the comic books, his act was just that; it was an act. Mm -hmm. Whenever when he revealed the deception, he kind of became more a you know a conventional nerdy guy that's into science and. You know, yeah. he didn't have all these weird character traits that make him kind of unrelatable. And it feels like that they're just going for, nope, he is this weird redneck nerd computer. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't understand basic human emotions. And um, I, I don't know. It feels like that's limiting somewhat to his character growth and how much you can identify with him. But well, I mean, what the hell? Yeah, you might be right. I don't know. It's It's done a lot. His relationship with Tara, I think, has has helped him, you know, where he turns basically from a coward to someone who can overcome that yeah. in times of need. And I've seen characters that with, like, him. some big limitations, like Sonia, who's uh, uh, autistic in yeah. – or has Asperger's syndrome and the, the bridge become a compelling character. Mm-hmm. Richard Harrow in Boardwalk Empire had huge limitations in what his – what he could do for as far as range and emoting, and he became sure. a very compelling character. So – I think they can do that, but with the with with you know Richard Harrow didn't have a mullet and fucking denim jean short jean shorts. That's <laughs> I, I that that's that's you know that's an that's an obstacle he has to overcome. Yes, yeah, his just general appearance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, I I don't know how you describe him. All right, but it's rough. Yeah, so uh, like Aaron said, we'll do this again. We'll we'll come up with new predictions for the next season, uh, and we'll talk about those in our season six preview cast. Uh, but I think that's it for death predictions. All right, we got a lot of feedback. I want to start off with uh, one that's kind of a longer, kind of more of a segment situation. It's Matt D, who's a clinical therapist, and he says, "I find your ideas and theories about what survivors are going through always interesting. You guys know a lot of the basics, and I applaud you for that." I love that you guys have been looking at the trauma the group has gone through and questioning, is it insane or is it just the way it is now? <laughs> I think, as a professional, mind you, it's a little bit of both. First off, when diagnosing anyone, one must be aware of the cultural aspects of one's life. What one person may view as very strong and unique traumatic experience could be normal for someone in a third world country or downtown Chicago. <laughs> 
So that's the like first world problem versus third world problems uh, situation. But he gives this is I, I think out of the DSM five or whatever mm-hmm. uh, four criterion uh, A is a stressor, and you have to have one of these. The person I think everyone in this world has one. <laughs> yes, the person has ex- been exposed to death, threatened with death, actual okay. or serious threatened injury, or actual or threatened sexual violence, as follows. Some of these characters have all have all of them. Jesus, you have to have direct exposure, witnessing in person. Uh, indirectly by learning that a close relative or close friend was exposed to the trauma, um, a repeated or extreme indirect exposure to adverse details of the events, usually in the course of one's duties. So this is like, it's not watching shit on television. It's being like a yeah. first responder and picking up body parts um, mm-hmm. or, you know, a professional shooting uh, your mother. Or or in something like a um, a, a social services counselor that's repeatedly exposed to ch- dealing with children or victims of abuse. You know, yeah. you can get yeah. thir- you can get trauma by proxy dealing with that. Mm. The uh, B criterion is intrusion symptoms, and you have to have one of these. Uh, the traumatic event is persistently re-experienced re-exp- in the following ways: uh, traumatic nightmares, uh, disassociative reactions, uh, or flashbacks, which may occur on a continuum from brief episodes to complete losses of consciousness. Or intense or prolonged distress after exposure to traumatic reminders. Now, we, I think the the apocalypse uh, counts there. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we've seen people have nightmares. We've seen we like Rick having uh, flashbacks uh, to to events and and seeing his dead wife, things like that, or Sasha, or Michonne, or any of those. Yeah. Right. Uh, criterion Criterion C is avoidance, and you have to have one of these uh, persistent avoidance of distressing trauma related stimulus after event, uh, avoiding trauma related thoughts or feelings, or external reminders such as people, places, conversations, activities, objects, or situations. Hmm. I feel like this is Michonne, right? Um, someone that avoided human contact and avoided human, you know, associating and, and kind of relating these people. Kind of Bob, too. Remember how standoffish he was when he first got this group because everyone that he got in a group with eventually died? Yeah. Criterion D is negative alterations in cognitions or mood, and you can uh, have to have two of these. Uh, Inability to recall key features of the event. (laughs) So Maggie? Maggie, yeah, totally there you go. About That's, her sister. So I'm gonna, yeah. There's there's some interesting <laughs> things to this. Is sometimes this could be accurate, but not satisfying. Okay, that's one of my theories here. A persistent and distort, or uh, and often distorted negative beliefs and expectations about oneself or the world, such as I am bad or the world is completely dangerous. Mm. Although it's hard to say that any of these things are negative or distorted beliefs. Yeah, the world is completely dangerous. Yeah, and Rick's kind of a bad man. Yeah. Uh, persistent distorted. I think bl- maybe Daryl. Daryl has a pretty low v- vision of himself. True. Uh, persistent or distorted blame of self or others for causing traumatic event or the resulting consequences. Persistent mm-hmm. negative trauma-related emotions, just fear, horror, anger, guilt, or shame. Markedly diminished interest in pre-traumatic significant activities. Uh, so this is like Carl eschewing video games <laughs> and comic books. Uh-huh. Feeling alienated from others and constricted effect, the per, a persistent inability to perceive positive emotions, which that's like damn near everybody in this group. <laughs> Seems like it, yeah. Uh, there's two more. Criterion E, uh, alter, uh, alterations to arousal and activity, and you have to have two of these. Um, so you have display irritable or aggressive behavior, self-destructive or reckless behavior, hypervigilance, exaggerated startle mm. response, Problems in concentration or disturbances in sleep, 
And F is the duration. The persistence of all symptoms have to last for longer than one month. Uh, criteria, I, I lied. There's two more. Criterion G, functional significance. Um, it has to actually impair you, like social or occupationally. And exclusion, criterion H, it's not a disturbance due to medication, substance abuse, or other illnesses. So, like, if right. you are tripping balls in LSD, you can't say you have PTSD until you get off the drugs and then, you know, sure. you got you to yeah. treat the, the, the first cause before you got the other. Mm-hmm. And then he says there's a bonus criteria when you deal with the idea of core mo- oh, geez. Uh, comorbidity, which means other disorders that were already there combining with the diagnosis that we were discussing. Think of Bob's alcohol-related disorder, Rick's auditory and visual hallucinations of his dead wife's, Morgan's paranoia, or the fact that we could easily imagine some of our survivors previously being diagnosed with something like depression or anxiety prior to the walkers arriving, which only complicates what's going on in these characters' heads. So first off, thanks. That's super interesting, um, uh, Matt. And I appreciate you sending that in. And it makes me think of the character of Lizzie. Okay. Who we see, we, we knew was crazy. Um, that's probably an uh, insensitive <laughs> remark. We, we knew that she was disturbed prior to the apocalypse. Yeah. And yeah. also one thing he mentioned that I kind of omitted was that when children manifest these things, it often comes across in... Uh, like a kid doesn't have a nightmare about a car accident. They just have general increased nightmares that are not totally related. And also that kids, instead of showing antisocial behaviors and violent in- tendencies, they can also just display fixation and thoughts in the way they play. And it made me think mm-hmm. of Lizzie because we gave her so much shit because, you know, she's going to try to play freeze tag with zombies and doing all this stuff and, and, mm-hmm. and tearing up animals. And it seems so heavy handed. But then I read this and it's like that might be a fairly accurate depiction of a young girl with PTSD. Yeah. But it makes me think, you know, it's like, why doesn't this work in the show? Like like when you got like like as science fiction, when you see sound effects in space, like in Star Trek and Star Wars, you think, oh, that's fun. You know, it's like it's fun to hear the pew pew and the bang bang, even though in real life you wouldn't hear any of those things. Sure. And that lack of those sound effects, like when you watch Interstellar or, um, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey, that indicates we're dealing with some serious science fiction. Yeah, yeah. And less pulp. But then you've got shows like Firefly that are very pulpy, but they still adhere to the physics of space. Why does accuracy and realism in this work sometimes and other times it's irritating like a lot of people said that showing anakin anakin and padme's relationship in star wars prequels was a realistic depiction of teenage love and yet it was terrible yeah well that that comes down partially to acting uh i i thought hayden christensen did a fucking horrible job of delivering those lines oh and and uh natalie portman did not cover herself in glory either it's tough when you're acting across from the board that is <laughs> Hayden Christensen. Uh, I that's a that's a really good question. Um, Plus, George Lucas reversed his direction from the from the original trilogy. Instead of faster, more intense, it's slower, less intense. Yeah, more monotone. They brought in take, take out take to, out the emotion. Come on. Yep. Uh, I man, I wish I had an answer to a real answer to your question. I. Like Rick- I guess I don't want to see unless I'm going in for like, uh, what's the fucking movie with the bombs? The bomb diffuser Hurt, guy. Hurt, Hurt, unless I'm going into the Hurt Locker and know what I'm getting into, I don't want to see those realistic depictions for the most part. 
Yeah, I, when, I, when you're looking for escapist hero her, heroism, yeah. you want to see your characters kind of triumph over these things. You don't want them to deal with them in a very realistic way. It doesn't feel like. But sometimes you it, do. Like when there's, I mean, you want genuine response to grief and loss, but you don't want to see Rick going crazy in the catacombs and, a, you know, almost killing Glenn and hallucinating dead Lori and... I I don't know. I don't I don't have a huge problem with that. It's uh, it's somewhat silly. The the problem I had was more with like Lizzie and Mika that season. I Oh, mm-hmm. I I don't know. Lizzie was just not fun to watch. And I, I there there's got to be a distinction, right? In real life, of course, these these people are not going to be super pleasant to interact with, I assume. If you have PTSD, that's going to affect your social interactions. Do you think if they played it, like, more haunted? Or even, like, if if Lizzie was just completely kind of flat and spooky, rather than, like, these weird moods? It just seemed like she, she was seemed just... oddly happy. Yeah. For being so scarred. But that could be, uh, again, a realistic depiction of it could, this. It could be. That's, that's the weird thing. It's and just I... super annoying. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's something that yes, you would experience it differently than you want to watch it on television. Like I don't necessarily in what I consider a pulp show. I mean, this is not this is not hard sci-fi. This is not sure high drama. This is you know, a a primetime cable network show that's trying to have a little fun, trying to be exciting, trying to be interesting. It's not trying to be realistic necessarily. I mean, mm. fuck, you wouldn't put it in a zombie universe if it was. Sure. So I I don't know, in those types of shows I don't want to see that. In in something that is more serious, yeah, I would absolutely want to think about that more. Right. And I was like, you know, you look at this and like you could entirely explain Maggie's reaction to Beth through this diagnosis. I mean, sure, she yeah. could just be refusing to think about her sister and blocking it out. Disassociating a little bit, yeah. Exactly, but when you watch it, it just doesn't feel satisfying. What do you think about sure. Morgan? Because Morgan's a weird case where mm. he got into a really bad spot and then somehow, through his own bootstraps, lifted himself out of it to a very, very positive place by the end of it. I think... Although I think I he guess... could also just be fucking insane, right? At this point, <laughs> right? He could just be in denial and and yeah. engaging in these like suicidal missions of mercy. And he he's could just be lucky. he could be Lizzie two point here. Hmm. Like I'm I'm not certain that he's okay. We'll know if he tries to play freeze tag with a zombie. Yeah, or if he tries to feed him feed rats to him or dissect rabbits. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, thanks for that. Let's move on to Zach B. I have come to half-heartedly show support for Father Gabriel and to share you guys my personal take on his character arc. Like Aaron said, I think this noose walker that Gabriel encounters on a suicide walk is placed here by the writers to conjure up Im- images of Judas. In fact, I think Gabriel one way or another is in his own right a Judas. There are many similarities between the two. For example, Judas betrayed Jesus, someone he had believed and followed for years for his own personal gain. Gabriel did much the same when he betrayed his congregation and in turn his faith for his own personal safety. When he first met Gabriel, I believe his only coping mechanism was to bury his guilt and sin deep within himself. His interaction with our group and Alexandrians have once again stirred up these emotions of guilt and grief, causing Gabriel's weird actions and his thoughts of suicide. I thought that was interesting because he kind of had, he could have had a fatalistic view of the world that like, 
I'm excusing my behavior because any other action could have gotten me killed. Then he sees this group who, despite him not agreeing with their methods, they stick together, they look out for each other, and they've survived and thrived. And that's kind of like a living rebuke to his cowardly bar the doors and let everybody else die strategy. Hmm. Yeah, I what I've noticed reading through the feedback is that so many people have such starkly different takes on Gabriel and his motives and what he's thinking and why he's reacting the way he is that really, and I mean, this goes back to, you know, the email we just talked about with the PTSD stuff. Really, these shows come down to just your personal perspective. Like mm-hmm. when you're watching them, you're interpreting things as you're going to interpret them. And like a lot of people are on just completely opposite sides with Father Gabriel. Right. Like some people say, oh, he he can't stand what he did. Oh, he's not, he's trying to deny what he did. He's, uh, he's thinking, oh man, I can't kill myself because that's a sin. Oh, I shouldn't kill myself because I don't deserve it. Like right. there's so many different takes on this. I, and all I can do is, you know, speak from my take, right. which, which is my perspective, which is, uh, I thought, <laughs> I thought Father Gabriel was just not prepared sure. to do what he was about to do when he saw the horrible, the, the, the horrificness of it all. Plus, it's like, I feel like our society is really like anti-snitch and pro-loyalty. Mm-hmm. And when you have a person who combines the worst ass, uh, the worst concepts of a snitch and a betrayer (laughs) which is what which is what gabriel Uh is he's done both he's informed yeah uh, you know behind his buddy's back and he's also betrayed their confidences and he's betrayed the people that he you know supposedly was supposed to take care of it's kind of like a perfect storm i mean you can make a priest swear as we found out yes Yes, in the past few weeks uh speaking of betraying confidences oh i I just want to talk very briefly you know I want to go back a little bit to this PTSD thing. Okay. Uh, PTSD does not explain many of the problems that this show has, right? And so when we see those problems and we start saying, man, these are really problems. Uh These writers are maybe not as good as they could be at telling this story and things just aren't making sense. I think that's where you start to lose the thread. Like if everybody acted in a way that was true to their character, like Uh for instance, Maggie, uh, you know, Brought up the fact that Gabriel had said a goddamn word. Uh-huh. Uh, brought up the fact that her sister was even gone. Like, uh-huh. those things don't add up to a cohesive, coherent character. And also, I feel like you can use this as a catch all to explain most anything. Any bizarre behavior a person engages in sure. your pockets, well, it's PTSD. Yeah. What are you going to do? And you're kind of not wrong, right? Right. I mean, no. it's the zombie apocalypse. But it does, at a certain point, it starts feeling a little lazy. Six seasons in, yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, are we watching a show to see a realistic depiction of people's emotional responses to zombie apocalypse? Are we looking for heroes to root for? Do we want to see a father that goes through crushing loss and then does everything he can to keep his kids safe? Or do we want to see somebody that just abandons his children to their grief and (laughs) tries to kill himself as a first reaction to it? It's like, I, there's not a wrong or right answer in a strict sense of the word but i'd know what i prefer to see in this type of show yeah i mean i guess what i'm trying to say is i don't have faith that the writers are able to show me a super accurate depiction of anything well and you know the 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 shows that are super accurate psychological they don't they're not usually ongoing like mad men's one rare example where it's very cerebral and psychological and just character driven and slow and it just goes on forever Mm -hmm. i mean seven seasons at this point 
where most things, you know, like the Hurt Locker, imagine the Hurt Locker as a six-season television show. Oh, God. Like, eventually, it's like, Christ. I would end up with PTSD. <laughs> right? So it's like, you know, shows like that that are very deep. It's, it's usually in, present the situation, have you think about it, and then leave ambiguous, and have you, you know, thinking about, like, you know, what that's like, and hmm. tell you something about stuff going on in our society. Walking Dead is just an, it's just, just an ongoing narrative engine that's never going to end. Sure. Until yeah. the people stop watching it. So it's, I don't know. It feels a little more jerky for some reason. Yeah. I'm with you. Anyway, can we get back to Judas? We're talking about sure. Judas here with Sorry. Zach B's comment, uh, commentary. Uh, it says his uh, Judas, he's comparing him to Judas as Judas overcome with grief and guilt, hung himself to escape the pain he felt for his actions. Mm-hmm. Seeing this noose walker, I think, causes Gabriel to somewhat realize his own personal parallels with Judas and thus causes him to rush away in fear of what he has become. His attempt to get Sasha to shoot him was obviously his try at having someone do the dirty work for him, maybe also caused by his fear of suicide, preventing him from gaining access to heaven like Aaron pointed out. Finally, with the support of Maggie and Sasha, Gabriel is able to come to terms with his terrible actions and move past his sins, thus closing his Judas arc and maybe bringing forth an opportunity for the writers to use his priest character in an interesting way. Do you think there's anything that the writers can do to bring Gabriel around that doesn't involve his death somehow? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't totally write Gabriel off. I think he has hit his limit, certainly, here. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I don't know, him curling up into a ball and crying in both the street and his church, mm-hmm. I think, are the beginnings of his acknowledgement. You know, it's it's one of the many steps he's going to have to take if he's ever to, A, forgive himself and recover from this and start to help people, help other people do the same. I think they could still redeem him, but it's going, it can't happen in a half season, I mean, maybe it could, maybe it could, but it can't happen in an episode or two. It needs to be a longer, more drawn out process where he begins to forgive himself. And he needs to work at it. He needs to work at yes. really appealing to the group and us as an audience to show he's really changed. And Absolutely. They have a little bit of this problem with Eugene because Eugene essentially endangered and killed many, many people with a lie. Yeah. I, and I'm trying to think of like, what's, why do we... It seems like fan opinion on Eugene, like, we like to laugh at him. Certainly. And it's fun. He's comic relief. But people mm-hmm. seem to have some level of affection for the big fat lug. They do, yeah. In a way that Father Gabriel, I, I, I guess that, you know, a lie or a, a white lie, because I think he genuinely believed that going to Washington, D.C. was the best for everyone, mm-hmm. is better than just an, a dereliction of one's duties. And then a betrayal on top of that. Like... Eugene does go a little bit towards that direction and saying, like, kind of like blaming the group for not sure. believing that he's a coward and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah. he's a little, little um, kind of tone deaf there. But Gabriel is just, yeah, I think Eugene's further along the road than yeah. Gabriel is to to recovery. Right? I mean, the, the episode where he goes and he saves Tara. Right. That's a big step. It's not the only step he needs to take. Right. To be redeemed, but it is a step, and I think. Father Gabriel is at the point where he is admitting the lie that Eugene admitted yeah. uh, earlier on. So he's kind of, you know, a step or two behind him on that spectrum. I also think that, and this is the secular in me standing out, for me personally, his overheated, the way he talks about this in very black and white apocalyptic religious terms, mm-hmm. massively turning off for me. Sure. I, I I totally get that as someone who is not interested in religion in any way. Right. 
Like, I just, if, if someone came up to me talking about Satan this, Satan that, I'd just be like, you're a crazy person. In a way, I wouldn't <laughs> if they're talking about God. Hmm, okay. And like a, you know, like, I don't mind people talking about God or heaven or faith and all that, but for some reason, talking about, like, anytime, anyone starts talking about Armageddon, yeah. or end times, or the devil, I'm just like, <laughs> okay, this is a bridge way too far for me to even have a right. rational discussion with you about you, it. You hear that priest out there? If you're going to approach Aaron with religion, don't, come don't out that Satan start stuff. at Satan. Satan is no, not the starting point. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, Lisa W. says, I was screaming at you all morning long while listening to the Conquer podcast, but you probably didn't hear me. We have not figured out that two-way Mm-mm, podcast no. technology. We need a speaker in the studio. We do. Can you we'll even just broadcast imagine, what you imagine Tuesday evenings would just be like the screams of the damned around here? Pretty much. Uh, the noose walker freaked out Father Gabriel because he realized if he committed suicide, he'd become a walker. As simple as that. Nothing about sin or getting to heaven. The noose walker was more likely a suicide right. than a lynching, which yeah, that yeah. should have been obvious to us. Mm-hmm. Still wanting to die, he pursued other means, knowing that someone like Sasha would hopefully not let him turn. Is becoming a walker an anathema to Father Gabriel? Hmm. I could see where it could be, the fact that he could be roaming around the countryside tearing into people's flesh. I certainly didn't get that. Uh, it's not but, an invalid take. No, certainly not. And I, I suppose, you know, given what he has done to his flock already, he would not want to repeat that mistake and start going around biting people and killing people again. So, yeah, I, I could totally see that. Just, I mean, I guess that's why I saw the, like, oh, I want to get into heaven or something or like recoiling at the thought because it's something about him is fundamentally selfish and vain Hmm. and you know not wanting to be a walker i don't know unless he just personally is is horrified at that prospect which i guess a lot of people are to me Mm -hmm. the only thing it'd be horrifying is if like and i and i feel like that they kind of broached that in the season one and they've never really come back to it the idea that there is some small part of you that's still functional ah yeah yeah that will never be released unless someone shoots you in the head. That is horrific. But I feel like yeah, we're gone. never coming back to that, man. Nobody's twisting yeah. doorknobs here. Yeah, it's... there's got a no child picking up a you know cradling a teddy bear. No, no, no flashes. Of God, memory. man. Sometimes when I think what this show could have been and what it has become, I, I'm not so sure that I like what it is. I kind of thought they were going towards that, bringing it back a little bit in Woodbury, you know, Poindexter's experiments. Like, yeah, yeah. They could have gotten back into there, but, you know. Nope. Uh, Scott J has a great question. How the everlasting fuck did Father Gabriel decapitate a walker, bash a guy's head with a rock, then roll around in the freaking dirt, but return to the gate with the whitest goddamn shirt in the entire apocalypse? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I, if he's using OxyClean, I don't know what he's doing to get those whites whiter, but it yeah, is a, it's miraculous. He's got one of those, uh, what is it, the, the magic brush or the, the magic sponge thing, whatever it is. The magic jack? He's making free phone calls in the apocalypse? <laughs> no. That's handy. The magic bullet, he's making free smoothies. <laughs> no, I, I don't know, man. No, if he's got the magic, uh, magic bullet, he's not making shit, because that thing's a piece of junk. <laughs> I, I don't know. What, you co- how do you kill two walkers, two people without and then roll in the dirt? Blood? That's the thing. Yeah, and like, roll around in the street. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, they just don't care to think about these things. Maybe he's got that. Uh, what's that uh, hydrophobic coating that they're putting on cell there phones you go. now? Yeah. Whereas, like, I've seen a demonstration. Someone's got these like pure white sneakers, and they pour ketchup. It just rolls off. Mm-hmm. He rolled in that before he rolled in the dirt. Uh, Stephen L., are you 100%? There's several people with this theory. Stephen just happened to be the first, the quickest gun. Okay. 
Are you 100% convinced that Rick shot Pete in the end, or is it possible he just shot Reg before he turned? I think keeping Pete around could be interesting. I would be pissed, personally. I'm 100% sure that he shot Pete. I don't know that for a fact, but in my mind, 100% he shot Pete. Yeah, I don't really like it when they bait and switch like that. I now, have... that begs the question. Oh, well, begging the question. That, Speaking for- of... that forces you to ask, why didn't he shoot Reg? Well, maybe, I mean, there's time to shoot Reg. He just there, died. There's time, certainly, but he's going to have to eventually. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, Pete. He, he shot Pete, for sure. Uh, he also wants to know, which is another popular speculation, he shot quickest and shot two in one, one email. Also, why the hell is Glenn running outside chasing Dickolus right before sundown? What purpose does this serve since Glenn does not, uh, wait, does Glenn not remember his posse's about to have a major showdown with the Alexandrians and shit could go down? It makes little sense to me that a character like Glenn, who places so much emphasis on loyalty, would realize he needs to be with Rick and his people at this time, and perhaps even his wife. And he calls some serious Daryl Dixon bullshit on that. All right, I have two two pronged answer to this one. One, he didn't realize the sun was going to drop as fast as it fucking That's did. True. That's true. I mean, true. snap your fingers and the sun's down. In he did not know that they would Virginia. throw a bucket of cold water on the sun. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, he told Dickless not to go out there. So, like, righteous anger here, right? When he's like, man, I'm trying to protect you, and here you are climbing over a fence like a jackass. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to stop you. Yeah, and, and he probably I, didn't think it would take this long either. I think he he definitely uh, underestimated Dickless too, and I know that's yeah. hard to say because it's hard to underestimate this idiot. But sure, there it I, is. Yeah, I I didn't have a problem that he went after him. All right, especially right after telling him do not go outside. Denise T says, "I'm hearing a lot about Rick becoming the quote unquote new Shane, like that's a bad thing." First off, Shane has some nasty character traits that Rick does not possess. Rick would never have done Otis the way Shane did. Mm. Is Rick a little worked up? Sure. But he's learned his lesson that others haven't, which frustrates the hell out of me. His shoot first and ask questions later philosophy may be harsh, but there are many examples where it's played out. Mm-hmm. Lori's death would have been avoided if Rick had killed that inmate outright. Mm. Herschel would be alive if he killed the governor when he had the chance. Bob would not have had to endure the whole leg thing if the group had gone back to finish off the Terminites. Like Rick wanted, Beth mm-hmm. may still be alive if the group had gone with Rick's plan to just kill the Slabtown cops. If Deanna had let Rick handle the Pete problem the way she wanted, her husband would still be alive. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love Morgan this week, his philosophy that all life is precious freed up the wolves to continue killing. Uh, poor Poncho guy. True. Not killing bad guys when you have the chance is a terrible idea. Hard I, to argue with that. Yeah, I mean, there's the one side, it's like the Gandalf... Be careful about dealing out to death because many deserve death and are alive, but many deserve life and are death, and you can't take that decision back. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, you know, when the forces of Mordor are marching against the land, sometimes you gotta <laughs> you gotta crack a few eggs to make an omelet. Sure. Uh the tough part, and I think, you know, Aaron and Daryl's arc is exploring this a little bit, is knowing who's good and who's bad. Mm. It's tough to tell when you walk up to Terminus that those guys are bad, right? They seem so nice. Psst. Speaking of that, Denise continues, Also, I can't understand why Aaron and Daryl weren't more alarmed about the carnage they found in the woods. How would they just head-scratch that and continue following a poncho guy? Personally, I would have gone right back to Alexander with a like, Hey guys, there's a huge fucking problem out here. Mm -hmm. That's a fair point. You find True Detective Season Mm 1, you take it back to the the, the village and say, We've got a problem. Just like like Denise said. Yeah. 
I mean, they, they were hot on the heels of Poncho guy, so maybe they didn't want to lose him. But by the time they figured out that they weren't going to get him, well, my it was thing too is, late. it's like if you find evidence of some major bad thing going down, is it more important to escape with your lives and warn the larger group and come back with the reinforcement? Or is yeah. it better to just keep pushing on and seeing how deep the rabbit hole goes? And if you get captured or killed, then Alexandria gets caught flat-footed. Sure. And I, I think woman tied to the tree with the W carved into her head and her guts spilling out is a pretty good point where you call it off. Sure. I, I'm with you. Alex from Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, what an amazing coincidence. I feel like there's additional significance of the Michonne scene where she goes uh, to place her sword back on the wall, but opts instead to resume wearing it. When I first saw that, I was like, what the fuck is Michonne doing with her sword off the wall in the first place? She never had it at any point in the episode. But then in your instant cast, you mentioned that Pete was killed with Michonne's sword. Mm -hmm. But this adds an interesting layer to Reg's death for Michonne because the tool of his death was her sword, something she previously would never allow herself to be separated from. Had she continued Mm -hmm. to wear that sword rather than hang it up, Pete would have not had the weapon available to him, and perhaps Reg would still be alive. At a minimum, he'd probably have been less dangerous with the casserole knife. I don't know if she feels any guilt for Pete's act, but at a minimum, there's a responsibility that if anyone is going to feed Stormbringer's uh, eternal thirst for souls, it should be Michonne. I'm assuming Stormbringer is a... Game of Thrones joke? I a don't... Japanese anime reference? Oh, really? It's not I Game of Thrones? It's not Game of Thrones, huh. I, to my mind. Uh, also, this is the second innocent that this knife is, or this this uh, sword rather, has been responsible for. Hmm. The governor used Michonne's sword to lop off Herschel's head. Yeah, I wonder if she's like, you know, that's a, that's a good take on that final scene. I did, I thought so too. Yeah, like she's like, no more. Like even if I don't personally, like literally, think, keep it on your back. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm the only one that knows how to hell to, to use this, and I don't want to see this shed any more innocent blood. Yeah, and kind of like, kind of like Rick, you know, his whole farmer. Farmer Joe escapade directly led to the governor's invasion. Maybe she's thinking like, you know, my constable Michonne routine mm-hmm. uh, directly led to to Reg's death. So, mm. uh, good good stuff there, Alex. Uh, he's got the, well, he's from Alexander. He's got the inside scoop. He does. Nate on the rabbit's foot. Didn't Morgan leave a rabbit's foot, a bullet, and a candy bar or something at the altar in Father Gabriel's church? Yeah, something like that. I think he sees this as some kind of karma type thing. Some seems like he gave a slight giggle when he found it. With this new monkish persona, this kind of makes sense to me. You get what you give. I like that take. Like he sacrificed a rabbit's foot to get here, and now he's repaid a rabbit's foot. His investment paid off. Okay. In rabbit's feet. <laughs> Which are useful for some unknown reason. Appeasing God, apparently. Yeah. God loves a, a rabbit's foot. Uh, Rick killing a walker during the meeting. Uh, this is the first guy who got this particular take. Uh, the gunshot wasn't heard because Rick, being the MacGyver of stealthy zombie kills, shoved the gun up into the head of the monster, pulling the amazing <laughs> pillow over the muzzle type of impromptu silencer. Hmm... I, I swear to God, I saw that scene like five times, and I did not get that he was shoving a a gun into a zombie's head. Yeah, I thought he was squeezing. I did, too. And I don't know whether we need to adjust the black levels on all of our televisions here or what. But It was an exceptionally dark scene. Very hard to see. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Does, does it work like that? Can you... Can you stick a gun in a thing of jello? Because that's essentially the consistency of these heads. I would think so, sure. Shoot through some jello and have it not make a sound. Yeah. Because what, what the 
There's two things to make the report, I guess. Like, if you have a supersonic bullet, you get to crack from breaking the sound barrier, but it's mostly just explosive gas leaves from the barrel. That's how silencers work. It essentially plugs one end and makes it go th- the gas go through a series of baffles until it slows down and is no longer loud as hell. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine sticking the barrel into something like a watermelon. I'm not going to test this because I don't, I don't want any of my guns to explode on me. But I sure. imagine if you stuck a gun barrel into like a watermelon or something, it would be a very muffled bang, if any at all. Hmm. Again, Maybe. I, I'm sure there's a Russian on YouTube who's tried you know it, what? so I'm going to go look it up. They need to get this on Mythbusters because they've got the they technology do. to remote fire something safely. Because they do shit like that all the time. Plus. And make a zombie head to shoot into. You yeah. Know? I mean, they can Ballistics do it Ballistics gelatin, baby. Exactly. Maybe uh, we should have a Kickstarter. Like, if I could raise, like, 10 grand. I'm, I'm sure I could put something together with servos and a gun and all that, but it's going to be a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. Does people want to know that badly if it works? <laughs> I don't know. And and have an experiment performed that badly? <laughs> <laughs> I would do it. I'd be happy to do it. All right. Anyway, Caleb J said, you guys mentioned that you can't get a hold of the, or uh, a sense of the scale of Alexandria. It should be pretty easy to see based on this. Yeah. AMC TV came out with this uh, Alexandria tour. It's a virtual reality tour. If you go to the Walking Dead webpage, which is uh, amctv.com slash shows slash the dash walking dash dead. Or if you just Google AMC Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, it's it's on their main page and it's it's kind of like a Google Street Maps version of alexander and it's really cool mm-hmm. but it's small tiny it is like a couple of city blocks worth it's it's yeah a very small neighborhood you can see the extent of all the walls and go from the gate to the back and all around i mean it what is... like a quarter square miles <sighs> i don't know it's pretty small one square mile at, it would be at the very most no it, that's way way yeah. bigger i think you're right a square <laughs> quarter mile a quarter square mile whatever <laughs> however you say that Three hectares. Yes. Uh, <laughs> three it's not, not, it's three really nautical funny. acres is what we're dealing with here. Yeah, really small. If there was any gunshot sound at all, they all would have heard it, without and a doubt. Also, it didn't take Rick until like midnight to find yeah, them. You could sprint back and forth 1,500 times in the amount of time it would take the sun to set. It's laughable. The, the ending sequence there. I think one person the emailed me and ridiculous. said there were... They thought it was that Rick was they should he should have gone to the meeting and been like, hey, everybody, we're overrun by zombies. <laughs> right. Before they go. But I the the thing I thought was that he knows that Carl and all the kids are not at the meeting. So maybe his father instincts perked up and he had to personally. But he didn't. He ran around the town for 40 minutes. Here's killing here's zombies. The you can't you can't not complain about Daryl and Aaron not going back to sure the town and also not complain about Rick running around like a maniac and not telling But this is an Alexandria, and he does have a blood trail he's following. If he he does, until that... it gets pitch fucking black and he can't see anything. <laughs> sure. he's He eats three carrots every day, so he has very low light vision. Cat eye Rick. Cat's what they call him. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole H. said, Maggie said she's going to talk to as many people as she could before the Are You Afraid of the Dark Town meeting. When she said that, I thought she meant talking to the Alexandria people, but it seems she talked to our survivors to get a Rick defense going as a way to win over the Alexandrians at a meeting rather than at the meeting rather than before. Mm-hmm. This may be a way to hint at Maggie's distrust of everyone but her group. I like this take because it seems like in retrospect that's exactly what they, she saw. Mm-hmm. She went consolidating everyone's support for Rick and then they one by one gave testimony at the meeting rather than trying to stump for the Alexandrian people. 
Sure, except she neglected to mention one of the most important parts, which was what Father Gabriel said. Well, yes, <laughs> that's true. So, great defense there, Maggie. Way to inform everybody of the possibilities of this argument. Uh, as far as side characters go, I think it works having characters who are on screen only a little bit, as long as the moments they are on are good, such as the whole scene with Rosita mm-hmm. waking up Eugene so Abraham can talk to him, and the small moments with Tara and Eugene. Yeah. I think it's a shame that the writers think they could have they have to build a character in the episode in which they kill them. They've done it so much that at this point, when I was watching the finale, I was pretty sure none of our main characters would die, <laughs> because they didn't get any long, Yeah, you know... When I was a child, my dad made me watch <laughs> Tom Brokow. Said so it's the high. No. I would rather see small moments over several seasons, and I don't think every character needs to have a huge backstory. Totally agree. But that is, you know what? That's a lot harder to do mm-hmm. than give somebody a couple big flowery speeches in a particular episode and then off them in a thematically appropriate way. But it's so much more effective. It's so much more you effective. You can't. You can't, in the span of an hour, build the affection that you need for a death to matter to anybody. But that goes back to the largely. There's a lot of you know a lot of rookies. Uh, yeah. On this ship, including the people at the helm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I think things are getting better. I don't know. Yeah. At this point, I'm. I'm. It's equal probability that this is just dumb luck, and they hit on the right circumstances of actors, material, environment, locations, and themes that appealed to me. But if we string together another six out of eight episodes successful, I'll start to think that maybe Gimple's getting comfortable in the saddle. Yeah. And that his initial promise as a single episode writer is 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 actually being fulfilled. But we'll see. Juliana R said, "I watched this season and noticed Deanna and Dawn have a lot of things in common." Uh, Deanna, of course, is the mayor of Alexandria. Dawn was the uh, ex-cop runner of the, the mayor Slap of Slaptown. Yeah. Slaptown, sure. Uh, both want the world to be as it was and ignore the reality outside their walls as much as possible. They want to continue the bullshit politics from the pre-zombie apocalypse world. Both sacrifice or allow women to be abused to keep what they see as the more valuable men happy. They both structure their kingdoms based on pre-zombie apocalypse ideology. Deanna based on communism, Dawn based on capitalism. Another Hmm. thing I found interesting was that both Reg and Beth were killed by accident, and Rick discusses this with Glenn in the opening uh, half of the second, or the second opening half. He tells Glenn that he knew it was an accident, but he would have killed Dawn anyways if Daryl hadn't. Also, I thought, or wait, um, Daryl didn't kill Dawn. Yeah. I thought... uh, Beth killed Dawn, stabbed her with the scissors. No, just stabbed her with the shoulder. Oh, I didn't kill her. Okay. Yeah. All right, gotcha. Also, I don't think that the throat slash at the ending and the beginning of the season was entirely not related because, to me, the two seasons are like two sides of the same corn coin. Are we to draw... So what does that mean? If communism and capitalism doesn't work, you just need... You need a dictatorship. Dictatorship, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a reasonable form of government that does work super well in the zombie apocalypse yet. It's essentially warlords and feudalism, and you hope that you are serving under a fair-minded, justice-oriented one. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like that's working either. Um, In in the long term, I think they've got to, you know, there's a new threat that everyone faces. The world has kind of been turned on its head. We need to figure out a new system, one that didn't apply to the old world because the old world was fundamentally different. I, I don't know what that system is. It seems like Rick is headed toward figuring that out, though. That's what I'm saying. I mean, 
I feel like that he has been molded by the pressures of this world into something resembling an effective apocalyptic leader, finally. Yeah. And he's also willing to take that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sia says, does anyone else think that Glenn might have gotten bit? It would explain them not mm. showing how to escape the walkers. It's a tactic that the show has used in the past. We know from Andrea, Bob, and others that characters can live for quite a while after being bitten. What do you think, Jim? It's possible. Uh, I mean, that would certainly explain why they didn't show us the ending of his attack from the walkers if they wanted to hold that in reserve. Do you feel like after Bob that that's a bit cliche? Because they just did that last half season. Yeah. Uh, I, there are certainly bigger cliches in this show. <laughs> having Having one thing repeat is not going to phase me nearly as much. Sean from Arizona said, I teach martial arts for a living, including Filipino stick fighting, Hmm. and I have some feedback as to why Morgan keeps wiping off his staff. Whenever you use a wooden weapon, such as a staff, a stick, or cane, the blood collects as a tendency to run down the weapon as you hold it, making it very slippery, and in this case, contaminating to your hands. Hmm. Morgan has a furrow carved at the top of his staff that seems designed to prevent this uh, while he is fighting, but it's still a good idea to wipe it off. Some of the stick forms I teach even end with a downward flick, to simulate flicking blood off of our escrima stick. I hope I pronounced that correct. Wow. Uh, he also says, P.S. A sharpened staff would not be better for Morgan as it's an obvious weapon, whereas he can play off the staff as just being a walking stick. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, that's not a bad point, I guess, when you're dealing with uh, humans and, and uh, zombies. The ability to surprise a person with just like, hey, it's a stick. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. Pulling a Gandalf. You wouldn't deprive a poor old Morgan of his support, would you? <laughs> That's all we got for the non-spoiler uh, section. We got quite a few spoilers, including some April 1st hilarity. Oh, boy. In my opinion, that was per- uh, perpetrated on the Walking Dead community community at large. Okay. Um, thanks for listening uh, this season. Again, yeah. thanks for everyone that supported us on the Club Bald Move. Mm-hmm. Thanks to everyone using our Amazon affiliate link. We could not do this without you. Yeah, And we really appreciate uh, all your guys' feedback, listening, and support. iTunes reviews. I mean, the only reason we are, to the extent that we are successful, we're as successful as we are, is because you guys have our back. And I can't thank you guys enough. Yeah, and we've got your back on some other shows. Uh, Don't forget, we are doing... Uh, our, our crazy season is not over yet. We've still got an episode of Better Call Saul if you, left. If you like pulpy zombie action, check out Mad Men. <laughs> no, 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 no. But maybe Game of Thrones. <laughs> maybe Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, so we're we're doing Game of Thrones and Mad Men. Those both came back up just this last week. Uh, Better Call Saul has another episode. Justified has a couple more. So we're still doing a lot of stuff. If, Which you if you're on the fence about Better Call Saul, about whether it would be a worthy successor to Breaking Bad... I think the results are finally in. Yeah. Pretty good show. Definitely. Pretty good show. And we all know about Game of Thrones. Pretty good show. Pretty good show. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're interested in any of those other shows, And Justified. Us. If you like Walking Dead, you probably like Justified, too. You might. It's a fun, yeah. well, well-written. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely well-written. Lots written. of action, lots of badass, great quotable dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's criminally underrated show, in my opinion. Sure. So yeah, join join us on those if you're interested in those shows. Uh, until I, I don't know next October, October till it gets Halloweeny, till the frost gets on the pumpkins. We're yeah, signing off and on then this. the pumpkins get their eyes cut out. We're <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back then. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. I'll see you in the spoiler section.
And we're back with the spoilers. What do we got? So many people I couldn't even count uh, sent me this article on April 1st from besthorrormovies.com that purported to have screenshots from the spec scripts for season six. And the idea was that Gimple had submitted these like, you know, high level script treatments for budgetary approval to get the budget secured and also to start signing some of the people for the characters and it had a lot of interesting things, like the wolves being killed in episode two, Negan appearing in season three, or episodes three, rather, with Abraham's severed head, mm-hmm. uh, that that Glenn and Michonne and Daryl are going to be lured outside the city with an oil tanker because they needed gasoline, and they're going to be ambushed by Negan, and Glenn is going to be captured and beat to death like in the comics, and this is going to happen in episode four. They okay. talked about Jason Moma being signed as Negan. It turns out all that stuff is bullshit. I there's yeah. no confirmation to any of that stuff. It was an April first article. I didn't see it anywhere else other than this one article, and it seemed like it spawned from Reddit, maybe. But it's just a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. If if the real Red Dawn is ever going to happen, they should do it April first because I wouldn't believe it. It'd be too late. <laughs> They'd have a whole day head start. Not like I, the the internet is literally useless on April first. There is nothing that I don't believe is an April Fool's joke. Sure. I mean, even like Gmail famously launched on April 1st, and they did it as a joke press release. I mean, that's – but even then, that's, the that's case part of, of their but... twisted kind of sense of humor. Yeah. I, I do not even visit news sites. The only on reason we don't April do April 1st, 1st shit is because it's so played out at this point. Because yeah. it's kind of the thing I would like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, having said all that, I think Jason Momo would be an awesome Negan. He's – physically intimidating he's very physically intimidating mm-hmm. like one-on-one any of these survivors even Ab- up to include and including abraham i take i take uh, cal drogo yeah yeah i like nine, him as cal drogo yeah I, I i take him six days of the week and twice on sunday he's mm-hmm. a badass yeah um really good conan the barbarian it's too bad they gave him a really shitty movie to star in yeah that's unfortunate i mean if anyone can make Aquaman look like a badass, it's Jason <laughs> Moma. He's got a very uphill fight, but sure. I think he can pull it off. And also, comic book nerds, don't give me shit about how badass Aquaman is in real life. I cut my teeth on him on the Super Friends, and he's a giant puss. And he talks to fish, <laughs> and I want to hear it. I don't give a shit about his king of Atlantis. fish don't want to hear it either. Commander of all these sharks and whales and the super <laughs> race of unders. I don't give a shit. If, if it didn't seem on Super Friends, it didn't happen. Does he so live- that's where I'm arguing from. <laughs> Does does he at least live in Atlantis? I maybe does he at least live in Atlantis. Did he do it on the Super Friends? No, so I don't give a fuck. Damn it! Also, okay. he was pretty good on Batman: The Brave and the Bold. He was pretty funny. Oh. But anyway, Jason Moma as Negan. Uh, if it turns out that that part is true, wouldn't be mad. Okay. Uh, anyway, Travis P sent. He's the only one that sent this in. But apparently Stephen King got on the April Fool's action. He posted a blog post on StephenKing.com and said. Following the rec- There's a press release saying, Following the record-breaking Season 5 finale of The Walking Dead, today brings news that Stephen King has been tapped for Season 6. Oh As an God. avid Walking Dan- Dead fan himself, Stephen is thrilled to announce that he has agreed to write an episode. What can fans expect? Here's what Stephen had to say about the direction he plans to take. I've been asked to write the opening episode for Season 6, where three major characters are to be killed off. No spoilers, but one of them carries a crossbow. <laughs> Well-trolled Stephen... Would you actually sure. be excited about a Stephen King written episode of The Walking Dead, just like a mercenary coming in, knocking it out? 
it would be interesting. I, I'm not excited in the way that I think it would be amazing. Uh, I'm excited in the way that I would, I would love to see how Stephen King's writing would mesh with The Walking Dead as is. Because I can guarantee you Stephen King is not a fan of The Walking Dead. I don't know that that's true. In, in the literary sense, a He's, fan of it? Like Stephen he might King be a is fan. not a snob is the thing. So I could see him being a legitimate fan. He's like, that's not the story I would tell. Nothing in The Walking Dead is up to par with Stephen King's writings. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, okay. I mean, I haven't, yes, I right. haven't read something Stephen King in a while, but the stuff sure. I have read, th- there's nothing in The Walking Dead that's nearly as good as Stephen King. I will King. say that if this was, if we were in season five of the Frank Darabont era, maybe, and I heard that maybe. Stephen King was going to write an episode of season six, I'd be fucking yeah. beside myself. Mm-hmm. Because I would think this would be a quieter, more dreadful, more horrific show. Uh, yeah, that that would have been cool. But at this stage, yeah, I mean, it'd be kind of stunt writing. It, definitely, I I would be interested in the stunt aspect of it. All right, well, we spent five minutes talking about just April Fool's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the good stuff. Uh, Mark, you want to throw yet another hat into the casting of Negan? He says, "I think a great choice would be Nathan Fillion." He of Castle and Firefly and Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. Man. If you've seen Firefly, you know he can play an on-the-edge captain really well, sometimes jokey, and sometimes he snaps for seemingly minor reasons. It's true. He's big enough to tell show well as Hollywood tough, and mm-hmm. I think he would be really well-suited to play a villain out instead of the anti-hero, plus another possible out for Negan swearing, fake Chinese. <laughs> uh, even Mark uh-huh. admits that would be a terrible ripoff, but he would find it funny. So I'm not that serious about it. But I do think he could bring just enough camp to the role to give a great comic character his due. That's the thing, because Negan is kind of funny. He's a is horrific he? guy. But it's like if Hitler had a sense of humor, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things sure. where sometimes I find myself laughing at his turns of phrase and just the rampant swearing on everything. But mm-hmm. he's a bad, bad dude. Do you think Nathan yeah. Fillion can play that? So that that's an aspect of Negan that I didn't really know was there. And he's also kind of charismatic, too. Okay. I mean, Nathan Fillion is all of those things. Uh, he, if if I hadn't seen Firefly, I don't know if I would buy him at all as Negan. Because in Firefly, he does play kind of a stern, tough guy, but with a veneer of, like, you know, carefree spirit and just, like, kind of silly sometimes right. and well and that's like at you know post battle of serenity valley he's got a frozen cold center yeah especially about yeah. certain things mm-hmm. and i there's a couple things where yeah i could see him playing a psycho yeah why not it'd be i think it'd be very different from the comics negan but that's mm-hmm. not there it's show negan's gonna have to be different from comics negan unless they cancel it's it on amc be. and put it on hbo or cinemax sure Anyway. Which would be kind of amazing if season six just went to HBO. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't imagine. Obviously, AMC is not going to no. have HBO distribute their shit. No. Uh, Matt S., according to the comics, these wolves must equate to the DC scavengers right down to sacrificing their own people to distract zombies. This group is easily dismissed because of Rick's chart changes made to the Alexander defenses. Hmm. Uh, for example, Andrea in the Watchtower. And Rick's group still had ammunition, which at this point, no one does, which I think is interesting. I still, you know, I've talked about kind of the hard for me to believe that anyone in America would be without a bullet a year or two after the zombie apocalypse. And also, you know, reloading ammunition is not that hard. 
people sure. do it all the time just for fun and as a hobby and to save money. Yeah. I would think that it would be f- fairly trivial to start manufacturing ammunition uh, in the zombie apocalypse, but whatever. Well, all those people who know how to do it are sitting in their underground bunkers <laughs> with their years of food supply, pickled... Crank, cranking out one round every 10 seconds. <laughs> pickled Cheez-Its. Yeah, they're never coming out of there. And they never have enough ammo either. No. Anyway, he continues, the saviors don't come around until much later after the introduction of Jesus and the hilltop. I don't think that we will deal with the wolves until the mid-season finale for this reason. Rick's group needs a revival, and the show has already written off the walkers as a manage- manageable threat. I disagree, especially if you buy the Morgan equals Jesus theory. Hmm. Um, I, I do feel like that they need to have other camps, other establishments. They need to have a, a kingdom. They need to have a hilltop. Otherwise, the whole rebooting of society with the trade and all that that goes into it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I I fully expect them to go down that route. I mean, and then you have diplomacy treaty. I mean, it's really it's it's feudal, it's feudalism, but it's a form of government reemerging, and I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, if you heard Gimple's comments on the Talking Dead, he said that they were going, they like to reinvent the show theme every eight episodes. This block was people are the bigger threat. I think that means that the herd that almost destroys Alexander in the comics will be the close of next mid season. <laughs> the story goes: wolves show up at the gate. Rick disposes of them with superior firepower. Dickless blames Rick because these things never happened before. He got there. He tries to kill Rick. He hits Carl. The shots draw the herd, which almost destroys the settlement. Rick's love interest, which I forget her name already, and her children die. Rick is named leader of Alexandria. Rick realizes that people are the most important resource and that civilization can work. That's all fine. I just, I don't know. I mean, I could, so I could totally see wolves for about four episodes. They get dismissed. Then we have a herd and then Negan shows up to mid season next year. I kind of hope there's that's just not the enough line with maybe a little less wolves. Uh, I, yeah. Cause I just, I don't know that there's enough plot to keep us occupied for eight fucking shows. Now that could be naive on my point because I have no problem believing that uh, Gimple is hard away working at Slabtown 2.0 mm-hmm. to fill three or four episodes worth of shit. I just hope he doesn't. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, the, the thing that I'm most excited, <laughs> honestly, the thing that I was most excited for going into this last half season was seeing how they deal with the Walker herd. They just totally skipped that in this half season and said, yeah, they, you know, drove around or whatever. No one cares. Uh, they better fucking deal with that at some point. Well, I think they've been teasing it so long. I've just give me my freaking herd. Give me my herd. Do you think kill the, Judith and give me my herd? That's all I want. Do you think the expense of building the Alexandria set maybe prevented them from doing that this season? Now they've got a set. Maybe they're, they're going to be able to use that for years, hopefully to come. Um, that maybe, finale did not look expensive though. This finale? Yeah. Well, no. I'm saying, but the cost of building the set is what the expense was. Okay. So now they got something that they have, and they're going to be using next half season or the season at, or the the whole season combined. They have that money where they're not building a set; they can then spend on zombie horde because that shit's got to be expensive. CGI for television shows is expensive, mm-hmm. and the cast of thousands they're going to need for Walkers is going to be expensive. Just sure. logistically, I I question whether or not it's expensive to build a fence around a town. I don't think so. I I mean, I think you can build an apartment complex for what a million dollars. What does this show? Know. What does this show spend on each episode? It's millions and millions of dollars it's on each episode. It's not just that. It's it's every one of the interiors of the houses had to be built. I like that's what I'm saying. You could probably build a housing addition for 
what, less than a hundred grand a house? Easily, right? I don't know. I honestly that's a good point. I don't know. But also do you want to So what you is build ten houses, budget? boom, a million dollars. But I'm saying if you spend a million of one episode. You think so? Yeah, they, these budgets are high, man. Huh. I would love to know how much per episode this thing spends. I'm assuming it's more than ten million an episode. I remember reading last year at Game of Thrones that they're like a four million dollars an episode. That's it? Well, right. That's what I'm saying. That's super low. Okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm way off on that, but and I know it that was seem like to up me there. that this set is that expensive. Anyway, I asked a uh, last spoiler section for people to come forth with successful remixes because in my mind, most of the remixes have been bad and yeah. the fans obliged me. Judd B said, one of the best remixes I can think of came from the remix of keeping Shane alive through the second season. The reveal of Sophia mm. at the barn and the build up to it. Shane snapping the side of Rick leading a walker to the barn. What is this? What is this? Yep, despite, that's a great line. Despite Rick's desperate pleas to abide by Herschel's rules, Shane goes batshit crazy, opens up the barn, and a firing squad execution of all the walkers begin. Yep. Then Sophia emerges as a walker, and everyone watches jaw dropped. It was a devastating blow to the group to realize so, they failed to protect the most innocent among them. All right, but that also brings up the problems with season two as well, right? I mean... But a that, lot of the shit. The in root cause two, of that failure wasn't the Shane remix. It was a lot of it was. I mean, the Shane Laurie stuff got extra weird in season two. Uh, it didn't have to though. I know, but it did, and part of that is because Shane was around. And you also got to. I agree that season two finale is fucking awesome. Yeah. But there's a lot of bullshit that leads up to it. And honestly, you could have done. You could have had. You could have put those words in Daryl's mouth, and it worked just as well. Okay, yeah. And I also do not do not like the remix of uh Carl shooting a zombie version of Shane rather than Shane himself. In in my yeah, in my mind they've weird. always pulled the punches when it comes to Carl's plot. Mm-hmm. And now he's aged up to where a lot of the stuff that they want to give him doesn't work. So yeah. I mean Shane did some other good things. I mean I I enjoyed seeing Shane be Shane and a little more skeptical of this whole thing, a little more gung-ho when it comes to what they need to do to survive. If Shane I, I wasn't was around, good. would Rick be as good of a leader as he is now? I say no. You're probably right. That he needed that fire, even though Shane, I think under under Shane, we'd have gotten a version of the governor eventually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he had that kind of underlying unstable relationship and, you know, protect Lori and Carl at all costs. Mm-hmm. That would have gone toxic. But I feel like that he did need that to kind of push Rick along the path of not being a complete milk toast guy to become the leader that he is now. Yeah. Uh, also said Rick taking full responsibility for his failure as a leader of the group walks up and takes the only shot of that scene, the shot that puts down Sophia for all the shortcomings of the book of the show and that season particularly. It's not one of the it's one of the best most emotional scenes of the entire series and would not have been mm-hmm. possible if not for the good old-fashioned Kirkman remix. Sure. Good good and bad. Gotta take the good from the bad. that remix. Uh, EJG, one thing I'd like to uh, that I like that he's doing is giving backstories to minor antagonists. In the comics, the bandits and the hunter arcs are very brief. The groups appear and are disposed of in short order. The Gimple has expanded those stories with the claimers and the terminus folk, and I think both remixes made the show better. I quibble about how they ended the Terminus arc, but yes, I thought the Claimers and the Terminus were more interesting than their counterparts in the comics. Hmm. Okay. I, I didn't actually read those parts of the comics. Sure. So don't know. 
I'm pretty sure that the Gimple is doing the same thing with the Wolves. In the comic, the Scavengers have a few panels where Glenn and Heath are out on supply runs, but they don't have much of a role until they hear the gunshot that killed Pete and use it to zero in on Alexandria. The Scavengers show up at the gate and are quickly disposed of by Rick and his lieutenant of badasses, proving their necessity to the Alexandrians and building Rick's confidence up until Negan bashes in and in and in. So... I, what do you think about that? The fact that the villains have a little bit, they're a little bit more fleshed out. I mean, this went, speaking of going toxic, went to very toxic streams with the governor. Sure. The governor was a creepy one note villain at the comics that worked for what he's at. They tried to take that and then make us care about his backstory and yeah. it backfired. We didn't get a lot to determine us, but just enough to kind of make us feel sympathetic about him or wonder how these people got to where they're at. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Joe and the Claimers. I I'm kind of on board with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I kind of like the arc with Joe and his group and Daryl. I thought that that was an interesting interesting transition for Daryl to kind of figure out where he fit a little bit better into this world. Yeah, right on. Because that represented a turning in the road. He could go and kind of become Merle 2.0. Yeah. Or he could reject that utterly, which he did. Yep. That worked. Yeah. That's it. I, okay. <laughs> out of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that, that, that heard that cl- uh, mm-hmm. cry, I got two, two emails. So most of, uh, most of all, I think, that someone also kind of, um, I can't remember the name, and I didn't decide to read it, but I wanted to address the point. The whole point of sometimes with a faithful adaptation, like what's the point? And I okay. just think... I don't know, man. I get a lot of pleasure seeing, and I, I've experienced Game of Thrones from both ends. The first two seasons, I had never read the books. Hmm. So I approached them as like, man, that's amazing storytelling. And when I read the books, and they're so faithful, but they, since they're longer form, and you could get more of the interior monologue, I felt like it filled in so many of the details. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in reverse, uh, seeing the show now, since I've read the books, has become like, um, the best of. It's like the great. It's like watching the greatest hits. You don't, you know, you don't get the deeper off the album cuts. You're just seeing the the greatest best parts. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the Godfather. I mean, it's a very faithful adaptation of the book. Uh, but they're both worthy. I don't think you have to make a bunch of. If if you got a good story, you don't have to change it up to make it entertaining to watch. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know how I feel about that because I haven't read Game of Thrones. I, I can see why people would say, what's the point? Well, I mean, I mean so if, another if you're getting example, something that's already more in-depth via the books, why are you going to worry? I, another example, fine, last week I finally saw Lone Survivor. Okay. It's the story of this Navy SEAL, Marcus Luttrell. Mm-hmm. I've read his book. I met him in person. I heard him give an hour-long speech about the events that are depicted in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, wow, this is an amazing story. But until I saw the fucking movie... It didn't hit home just how insane it was. Now, it could be that they punched up some of that stuff, sure. but n- nothing jumped out at me having been familiar with the material. I think that's the power that you can tell the same story, but the visceral visual impact is different than the more cerebral impact. And I guess you get a blended approach to the comics, but I don't I don't know. Hmm. It's not often that I'm bored by a really good book ad- adaptation of something that I've seen previously or vice versa. Yeah. And it's mostly I'm annoyed by the things that they omit or change or betray about the source material. Hmm. So that's my my take on that. 
Anyway, um, that's it for the spoilers. That's it for the recap. That's it for the season. That's it for the season, yeah. season. It's over, man. Uh, We'll be back in October for season six. Doing this whole thing again. I think I probably, no promises, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be covering Fear of the Walking Dead. If it's not just a total catastrophe, uh, we'll find out, though. Hmm. Is that a day one cover? Because I'm actually nervous about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Like I said, uh, we'll we'll think about it. We'll watch some previews, see what we think. Yeah, it's going to be, to me, it's going to be depending on what the pre, pre-release material looks like. And also, as always, the schedule. Yeah. Like, if it's going against True Detective, Fargo, and The Leftovers, <laughs> it ain't going to get covered. Yeah, until maybe season two if it turns out that it's outstanding or something. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it all works out. So uh, that's it. We will see you guys next year. Yep. This later this year. Yes. October.